Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So, how are you? Are you ready for some football? It's only Wednesday. That's weird, isn't it? It's only Wednesday. I feel like it should be another week. Although Thursday, the football cranks up with the uh, the NFL. And then also, uh, college football with the Mountain West. We're going to have games most Thursdays and Fridays now. Uh, basically, their kind of scenario is a, a Thursday game, a Friday game, a Saturday doubleheader on FS1, and a Saturday doubleheader on uh, on CBS Sportsnet. That's kind of the, the formula they're going with to get all their games in. So plenty of Mountain West football coming up. want to talk a little BYU football right now. We're going to get to the Utes in, uh, in just a minute. Um, the Cougar running game, kind of a two-headed monster with uh, Tyler Algier and uh, Lapini Katoa. Uh, split in time. I think Algier, though, when push comes to shove, he's going to get the tougher carries. He's going to get the tough yards. A uh, little bigger frame. Run a little harder. A little more inside. They'll keep splitting it, but I think we'll see him get the important short yardage carries. Uh, we don't hear from him a lot, but he did speak with the media earlier this week. So listen in. Here's the BYU running back on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So I want to ask about Isaiah Kafusi's interception and return for a touchdown, and I want to ask it in two parts. First of all, break it down from a technique side. You you played linebacker, you know, running back, you know, his moves there. But I also want to also ask about the emotional side. So so can you give me both angles of of the emotions of seeing him doing that and then also the, the technique breakdown as as you looked at it? Dude, honestly, from technique wise, he he did his thing. He made the interception and then just got up the field. And then honestly, just the whole defense really helped them as they pursued it. And everyone, literally from the D line to the safeties, all the way behind them, went to go block. And that's what resulted in the touchdown. But it was it was so excited to see that guy. He deserved it really well, and I expect more from him this up these upcoming games. Tyler, uh, I know that the idea is to always come out and right from the kickoff, just be able to immediately start ramping it up and playing well from the get-go. You guys have actually been able to do that in all of your games. How much fun is that? And what does it say about this team that from the kick, you guys are ready to go? You know, even from the from the last 48 hours, we all had to try to get our minds right. We're trying to perfect the craft, perfect the craft, and then right when kickoff starts, we just need to turn it on. Like even in the weight room or in the weight room, the days before, we just need to turn it on. Right when we get on the field, that's when, hey, let's go. We need a offense, offense. We need to shine, defense. We need to shine, and there's going to be ups and downs, but we all got our back because there's a lot of togetherness on this team. Well, and the other part of that. I mean, even last week or on Saturday, you know, 14 guys involved catching passes, things like that. Normally when you have that many guys that are catching passes or whatever, you know, the the numbers go down. Not only are you guys getting that many people involved, but everybody's numbers are, are really impressive. What does that say about you guys as an offense in general? I just say we're we're like we're really deep. We have a lot of guys that stepped up. Like we had a lot of injuries that happened throughout the years throughout the year, but there's a lot of guys who stepped up and are bought in and then that's what result resulted in that many that much success. Okay, so completely unrelated to anything we've talked about or even from our other interviews with Bracken and Coach, you guys are playing on Halloween night. Will you guys be showing up in costumes to the stadium? It, it would be fun, but honestly, we'll see. We'll see what uh, what Billy and the equipment guys have in, have in store for us. 
Uh, you kind of touched on this, but as as a competitor, the goal is usually to be out there on the field as much as you possibly can be. I mean, last game, you guys had, what, four or five running backs that were in, and so you, you kind of have to take a backseat when, when a team is that deep to allow other guys to get opportunities. How do you balance that in your own mind as a competitor, that desire to be on the field playing as well as to see the other guys playing and playing well? You no, know, it's just trusting, trusting yourself and trusting your teammates. Like we all, we all, everyone wants to get in, like you said, but it's just, if I'm, if I'm out of breath, I'd rather have Pini or Sione or Miles get in so they can be a hundred percent. And then once they're tired, it's just a fail. It's just a fail thing for the running backs right now. And uh, just, we all trust each other and we're all, we're all good enough to be on the field right there. And there. Tyler, we saw Sione Finau finally back out there on the field for the first time in extensive action against Texas State. Can you talk a little bit about what he brings as a player and just get your overall feeling of seeing him back out there after that injury? You know, see, it was fun. It was fun seeing Sione back out there, man. It was just, uh, just he came off that injury and he's been training his butt off this whole offseason just to get to where he's at right now. He's been studying his film. He's been doing good in school and he's just, he's really bought in and just seeing him out there just perform. It was, it was a good feeling. And he, it's We're glad to have him back in the RB room. And one other quick question for me is where do you feel like this running back group as a whole has improved the most this year? Ooh, I just feel like our adversity and just physical, physical toughness throughout the whole offense. That's kind of that. I was, I'll just say as a whole, from the RB room to the whole offense, like we bring the physicality. It just brings the juice for everyone, and that's vice versa for everyone else. There's Tyler Algier, BYU running back. As the Cougars get ready for the tune-up with Western Kentucky, I'm surprised that that's not like a 40-point spread. I don't know why that's sitting in the like 28-ish point range when I saw it last. I don't get that, but whatever. They'll blow through that, and then it'll be Boise State. Uh, check out Boise State and Air Force this week. Your scouting report, your tune-up. How much do teams improve from their first game to their second? We're told all the time they do. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Keep an eye on uh, on how Boise State's line plays in this game. Uh, Scotty G came on the air on Monday and said BYU's going to beat Boise State. He's sure of it. He was very definitive, and he said the power run game BYU can get Boise State there. Boise State is vulnerable. When the Aggies really focused on it in the third quarter, that's when they had most of their success. They didn't do it so much in the first half. The fourth quarter, they end up, they got within 15 briefly, but then they went down 22, and I don't know, it was like eight minutes left, and, you know, three possessions, you can't be focusing on your power run game. That that Boise State touchdown, and made it 35-13, pretty much ended any thought of going with that. Um but that that could be there. That's that's Scotty's theory, and he went pretty hard Monday on the air. We played some of the clips yesterday during the show, so keep an eye on that as um, as Boise State plays Air Force. How much do they control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball? But especially the BYU offense, can that O line push around uh, the Boise State defensive line? It'll be interesting to see what Air Force does. Although Air Force blocks stuff differently, so it's still a little apples and oranges. But you still get an idea for how physical guys are. Um, Air Force does tend to be a little smaller, though, so it may not be a great read. All right, DJ and PK, coming up, we're going to talk with uh, Michael Lev. He is the beat writer uh, for the Arizona Wildcats, and they are facing the Utes, and that is a season opener on November 7th. Uh, It's an interesting rivalry. Arizona owned Utah for a while. They won four in a row. Um, Rich Rod came in, and and he, you know, had this... uh, 
you know, the spread and the run game that went with it. And I don't know if you remember a guy named Kadeem Carey, great name for a running back. And uh, he and another running back, uh, Nick Wilson, came in and had consecutive 200-yard games against the Utes. Uh, the Utes got a handle on that running game. The Arizona defense declined. They had the coaching change. And the Utes have won four in a row. Can they make it five in a row? Can Arizona bounce back from a year where they started 4-1 and one, but lost 7 in a row and finished 4-8? and eight? We'll talk with Michael Lev, Arizona Daily Star, coming up next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. Some of the stories on uh, Twitter this morning, PK, Ryan Abraham, who uh, covers USC, his website, uh, uscfootball.com, he just crushes it with his coverage of the Trojans, and we have him on the show periodically. Uh, he retweeted this. It's you know We talk a lot about the sociology majors in sports. Uh, it's find an easier major you can get through while you're playing sports uh, more than full-time. But he's got this quote. I'm a human biology major on the pre-med track. I've always loved medicine and I always wanted to be a part of it. That's USC tight end Eric Cromanhook. I don't know how much Eric's going to play or how many touchdowns he's going to score. But if we see him running around, that's a quote to file away in the, uh, in the back of your mind. Yeah, and what's awesome is that he didn't have the academics to get into issue. Ah, nice. Well played, PK. <laughs> Not true, but well played. <laughs> DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Michael Lev joins us now, Arizona Wildcats beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. Michael, good morning. Hey, good morning, fellas. How are you? Good. We wanted to have you on to kind of get the uh, the lowdown on the Wildcats as the season opener approaches. You know, the TV network spent a lot of money on this stuff, and so they actually have people who dig in the offseason to make sure they're not missing any storylines, and they know who's good and who's bad, so they can put the best teams and the best games on and make the most money. And when I saw they put Utah and Arizona on ESPNU, my first thought was, well, they can't put it on the Pac-12 network this year, so they're putting it on ESPNU. Somebody thinks Arizona isn't very good. You're there every day do you think arizona can be any good coming off the losing streak <laughs> a lot of people don't think arizona is very good <laughs> um I, i've seen many predictions um where you know the wildcats are picked to go winless this season which obviously would be problematic when you are coming off uh, consecutive losing seasons and riding a seven game losing streak um and they've got some problems there's no doubt, um, as I'm sure you and your um, listeners know, they lost several players on defense during the off season, you know, mostly kind of pandemic related. Uh, the, the headliners are, you know, they're they're two longtime starting linebackers, Colin Schooler and Tony Fields. They both transferred uh, during the summer. Um, Colin's transfer was a direct result of the Pac-12, you know procrastinating basically for for lack of a better word um when the league announced that it wasn't going to play you know he and his brother wanted to play really badly so they transferred to big 12 schools to guarantee themselves that opportunity so 
some big holes on defense at linebacker. Also, safety is a potential problem area um, for the Cats. I think the good news is, if you're an Arizona fan, the offense is very promising um, with sophomore quarterback Grant Gannell taking over the job full-time. Um, and I think for Arizona to win any games this year, the offense is going to have to carry them. Um, they're going to have to win um, some shootouts. Uh, haven't been able to get really anything going in the last couple matchups against Utah, um, but I think for them to have a chance in that game and in other games, the offense is going to have to kind of control the pace, control the tempo. They're going to have to play from ahead uh, to relieve stress uh, on what is an undermanned defense. So I don't know that I've ever seen somebody fall from grace as far as I saw Khalil Tate from when he was a sophomore, I think, under Rich Rod to these last couple years under Sumlin and Mazzoni. Now, it was just the like square peg, round hole type thing. I think that that's gone now, and they know what to do with Grant at quarterback, and he showed to me enough promise that he could be a very good quarterback there, and it seems like they're settled, so there's no confusion on what to do with him, and then they can actually have an offense where it looks like they know what they're doing. Is that a fair assessment? I think it's a tremendous assessment. Um, They struggled to establish a true identity last two seasons. Um, As you mentioned, it was never a great fit between Noel Mazzoni and Khalil Tate. They could never totally get um, on the same page. And then last year, you know, things devolved even further to the point that, you know, they were platooning the two quarterbacks, um, which, you know, has its advantages in that it forces the defense to prepare for two different styles. But, I, you know, very rare, very rarely do you find a two-quarterback system working uh, effectively nowadays. Um, the two players are totally different. I mean, Khalil Tate is a dual threat um, type of guy who's going to take a lot of shots down the field, um, rely on his athleticism, whereas Grant Gannell is a little more surgical, more of a traditional point guard style of quarterback who's just going to try to get the ball out of his hands and into the hands um, of his playmakers. And I do think it will be um, more advantageous than not for Arizona to have just the one quarterback this year. They can really um, focus in on one system, one style of play. Um, he can establish timing and rhythm uh, with his wide receivers. Obviously, there were uh, disruptions uh, during the offseason, but you know Grant Gannell used that time to his advantage the best he could. He's bigger and stronger. Uh, than he was a year ago. I mean, he's six foot six and over 230 pounds. He worked with uh, Tom House, the uh, renowned quarterback guru, to improve his mechanics and arm strength. Um, and that's been noticeable according to several uh, receivers on the team. And that was kind of considered to be uh, his biggest weakness uh, coming off of that, you know, pretty impressive freshman year. The one you know, caveat I would throw out there is that defenses do know what's coming now. Um, they don't have to prepare for two different styles. Uh, they, there's no more uncertainty on their part as to who's going to play and when, um, and they have a year's worth of film on Grant. So um, those are the challenges that he faces, but I think for the most part um, that it's going to be a positive for Arizona to have that quarterback situation settled now. 
Michael Lev joining us. He covers the Arizona Wildcats for the Arizona Daily Star. The Utes open the season against the Wildcats on November 7th. Uh, the Utes have won four in a row in this rivalry. Uh, before that, Arizona won four in a row with guys like Kadeem Carey and Nick Wilson cranking out 200-yard games, just running all over the Utes. Uh, the Utes' defense has gotten better, and the scheme obviously has changed offensively for Arizona. But do they have anything in the running game where they could, to what you referenced earlier, you know, run the ball, control it, control the tempo of the game? Do they have a line and backs who can, who can provide that the way they did when they were beating the Utes? Well, they most definitely have the backs to do it. Um, running back is, I think, easily the deepest, most talented group on the team. I know they don't have J.J. Uh, Taylor anymore, but they returned Gary Brightwell, um, who rushed for, I want to say, 915 yards over the last two seasons, averaging more than five yards a carry. Um, and he's a pro prospect, given his size and speed uh, and ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Sophomore Michael Wiley, um, has packed on about 13 pounds of muscle. Um, he's over 200 pounds now and showed, again, the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield last year. Um, they feel like they have five guys at that position um, that they like, including a couple of uh, impressed, uh, freshmen who have impressed early. I do have some questions about the offensive line. Um, Donovan Lai, uh the junior who briefly uh, flirted with transferring uh, a couple of weeks ago is back at left guard. They really like him a lot. He's another guy who might end up playing on Sunday someday. Um, They love Jordan Morgan, who's a a sophomore left tackle who's extremely athletic and someone that USC was pursuing uh, toward the end of his recruitment. Uh, They do have a potential injury concern, though, at center. Uh, Josh McCauley, uh, as reliable as any you know, pivot man uh, in the Pac-12, hurt his knee early in camp, um, hasn't been back since then, and his status for the opener is a question. Um, and that's a big concern going against you know, a physical uh, Utah front. I know that the crowd noise factor won't be there without the actual crowd being there um, in Salt Lake City, but you're still – as the center in a position where you've got to make a lot of decisions uh, at the line of scrimmage, directing the offensive line, identifying uh, where the pass rush is coming from. Uh, So the potential absence of Josh McCauley could hurt the offensive line and it could hurt um, Arizona's ability to establish the run, which as you mentioned, uh, was a vehicle for them to stay in and even upset Utah uh, in some recent matchups. So Marcel Yates and his defensive staff largely are gone. They bring in some new guys. Uh, you already mentioned Schooners off to Texas Tech, Schooler, and then Fields to West Virginia. So I look at the defense. I see uh, Jalen Harris at linebacker. He looks to me like he's a nice player. I think that uh, they moved him, though. He's going to be an outside linebacker this year. But other than that, man, I don't know that I got anybody that I could look at and depend on. And if someone is under heat in his third year to get it going, uh, what are they looking at defensively as far as anybody? Do they just go with young guys? Do they have some guys outside of Harris that they can count on? Well, I would say that um, there's a handful of standouts and veterans that they're going to lean on pretty heavily uh, on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Jalen Harris, who 
has all the potential in the world to be a top-level pass rusher, and it's just kind of a matter of him uh, fulfilling that potential this year. I mean, he's legit 6'5", 260 um, at this point, and is, of course, the son of Sean Harris, who played for Arizona back in the day and then had a productive career with the Chicago Bears in the NFL. Um, Anthony Pandy uh, was Colin Schooler and Tony Fields' classmate. The original idea was to have Pandy play um, at one of the outside linebacker spots with Fields and Schooler uh, on the inside. The three of them played together a lot last year. Um, with Fields and Schooler gone, Pandy has had to move to middle linebacker. He also uh, has played inside linebacker in the past. The, the issue at linebacker is depth. Um, they brought in a couple grad transfers uh, at defensive tackle that they like a lot. Aaron Blackwell uh, from New Mexico and Roy Lopez from New Mexico State. Those guys are going to play a prominent role. Um, it's always nice to have veterans who've kind of been through the wars, and they're going to really lean on that defensive line a lot to hold up blockers and free things up for the linebackers. And then uh, on the outside, I mean, they've got two cornerbacks um, who have, you know, I would say the potential at least to make some all Pac-12 lists. Um, Lorenzo Burns has been around uh, for a while and has been one of the leading interceptors um, in the conference. Uh, guy who could have gone into the NFL draft uh, this last year or even while well, things were kind of up in the air in the Pac-12, but decided to return instead. And then Christian Roland Wallace, um, who had a really nice freshman year last year. Some inconsistencies, as you'd expect from a true freshman, but physically um, has all the attributes that you'd look for. Um, so they have a few pieces on defense for new defensive coordinator um, Paul Rhodes to build around. Uh, they do not have much in the way of depth. And I think they're really going to be vulnerable in the middle of the field. And if I were Utah, you know, I would probably try to establish the run early and then try to take advantage of that middle of the field area with some play action passes. Michael Lev joining us, Arizona Wildcats beat writer for the Arizona Daily Star. So you mentioned earlier that uh, there are people who are worried Arizona is going to have a winless season. Are there, They're not looking at the Utah game as one they're picking off. Are they thinking uh, – Colorado, UCLA, just one day you'll force or be gifted four or five turnovers and win a game. What? How does this season map out for them? Yeah, I mean, when you just look at the schedule on paper, uh, really tough beginning to the slate. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Utah has had the better of this matchup several years in a row. The last two seasons weren't even competitive games on the road. Then you got USC coming here. Um, to I pick to win uh, the Pac-12 South this year, and I've had them pretty consistently in my AP Top 25 as well. And then they have to go to Washington after that. On paper, I mean, that's an 0-3 start. And if you start 0-3 and you're coming off of a seven-game losing streak and you don't have a normal season, you wonder, you know, what is the level of investment going to be? What is the level of motivation going to be? Um, I actually think out of those first three games that Utah might be the one um, that's most vulnerable just because it's the first game of the season. Um, new quarterback, new running back, largely new defense. Um, you never know what you're going to get in a first game, and we've seen a lot of upsets across college football. Um, if you look at the back half of the schedule, UCLA is a team that Arizona defeated last year with Grant Gannell, um making his first career start as a freshman who had very little experience um, at that time. Uh, Colorado, here, 
uh, a team that Arizona has gotten the better of. And then, you know, you finish up the, the six-game portion of the schedule uh, with Arizona State, your rival. Um, they should have beaten Arizona State two years ago and probably should have beaten them three years ago. You never know what you're going to get in a rivalry game. Uh, on paper, you can see a path to 2-4 and four or 3-3. Three and three. My question is, if you start 0-3, like what kind of impact does that have on the program psychologically? You know, Are you still focused and, and invested in things enough where you can turn things around? So if they do go 0-3, who's shown the door first, Sumlin or Sean Miller? <laughs> oh, man, that's a great question. Um, it's, the, the question of, you know, Kevin Sumlin's future, his status here, it's, it's really murky. It's, it's really difficult to kind of decipher, um, in part because you know, money's tight. As you guys know, it like programs across the country. You know, the revenue streams aren't what they were, and they're not going to be what they were for a long time. So can you afford to pay someone to not work for you? And can you afford to pay that person a significant chunk of money? You know, if they were to fire a Kevin Sumlin before mid-January, he'd be owed $7.5 million in a buyout. Now, relatively speaking, across the landscape of college football, maybe that's not that much. But when you're in the position that Arizona's in right now and a lot of uh, schools are suffering financially, that's a lot of money. Um, On the other hand, how long of a losing streak can you tolerate? You know, that seven-game skid to end the season, I mean, that's a real thing. And with each loss at the beginning of the year, it just grows and grows. And you, you want the fan base to be engaged and enthused for whenever they get to come back here. And there's not going to be a lot of enthusiasm for a Kevin Sumlin-led regime if they're riding a 10, 11, 12-game losing streak. Or 14. Or 14. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, were to, they were to match that 0-7 with another 0-7. Well, Michael, we appreciate a little time you mapping it out. I think the Ute fans, they don't want to count the chickens before they hatch, but they're counting this as a W. But, hey, it's a season opener and it's a conference game, so you never really know. Thanks for coming on and painting a little bit of a picture for us, though. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. There's Michael Lev from the Arizona Daily Star talking a little U of A football. Coming up next, Dylan Colley, former BYU wide receiver. Now, there's not a lot to talk about last in last week's game and not a lot to talk about in uh, next week's game. Uh, but I am interested in uh, wide receiver play, uh, not only in how the uh, Cougars have turned they're probably their third best receiver into their star. Uh, Bushman got hurt. Romney gets hurt. Dax Milne comes up with these massive games. But also, as the U wide receivers continue to progress as a group, doesn't appear to be a star, but Kyle's talking up this group as, as, if, as if it's the best, which makes sense because I thought last year was the best group they'd had since the Sugar Bowl. And they got most of those guys back. And they've added back a guy who was hurt and couldn't play who we know is pretty good. So, uh, pretty intriguing. We'll talk wide receivers with him next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. 
from Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. It's back to Utah Snowmobile Expo is this weekend. Scott and Hans will be there for Thursday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. with interviews from vendors featuring all the new machines and gear for this year. Don't miss this year's show at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, brought to you by Spy Racing and Snow West Magazine. Time now to talk BYU football with the Cougar, former Cougar wide receiver, Dylan Colley. Dylan, good morning. Good morning, fellas. Dylan, did you learn anything watching that beating, or did that just confirm stuff you already knew? Uh, really just confirmed things that I already knew. Tough opponent to learn anything from. I thought that the uh, Texas State quarterback might have a chance of being a little more productive, especially in the way that they started, but uh, he quickly decided to leave the pocket every five seconds. So <laughs> that's really about all I learned. One of the things we've learned this season is Dax Mill is having a breakout year, and it's really it's, it's phenomenal to see when you consider his background. And it got me thinking, you know, your, your, when your brother got to, speaking of Austin, when he got to Provo, it's like by the third practice, you're like, all right, I get it. I mean, this kid, is he's got the attitude, he's got the hands, he's got the ability, he's got the size. It didn't take long for me to label him that he had the potential to be the best receiver in BYU history, and in my mind, I think he is. But then you got a whole bunch of other guys, which 95% of the guys go into that other category, right? So how does a receiver Mm -hmm. work his way into the rotation and work his way into being such an outstanding target when they bring in so many of them? Yeah, I mean, I think... For both, you know, specifically Gunner and Dax, right? Because Gunner kind of came in that way, where it was the expectation was so high, and we've we've had that conversation before on kind of the the pressure that that brings and uh, kind of the anomaly that it is to be the star, right, true freshman that everyone wants or expects you to be. Um, but with Dax and and Gunner both, they really do have kind of a they carry an athletic ability right naturally that is you know a little bit more than what we've had in the past especially from guys like them right like they are a bit taller they're both above six one um and so between you know their natural athletic ability and their you know mechanics and everything that they do at the, the receiver position i think the rest of it just comes down to hard work and you know, one thing that Fessy is is very, very clear on is how to get on the field. There's probably four or five things that if you do these things, he's very good about following through, right, which a lot of coaches kind of struggle with. They'll say, hey, if you execute in practice, if you understand the playbook, if you make, you know, minimal mistakes, if you work hard, and when the ball's in your hands, if you make plays, right, you're going to see the field. Um and that's something that both, you know, Gunner and, and Dax have done for a very long time. And we're kind of seeing the dividends paid uh, on that this year. So, uh, P. 
PK loves football terms. We're going to throw out football cliches here. You ready? And one that Riley Jensen throws at us all the time, catch radius. He loves that. The catch radius. Mm. Some guys, when you throw it to them, it's got to be in this little two-foot circle. It's got to come in over the shoulder, into the numbers, and if it's not there, they're not catching it. And other guys, you could throw, you could draw like a 10-foot circle around them. They will go get the ball. They'll go get it when it's down at the ankles. They'll get it when it's behind them. They'll get it when it's three feet over their head. They will go get the ball. There are a lot of parents here dreaming that their son, who's a gremlin, is going to end up playing at BYU, on ESPN, having the kind of season Dax Milne's having. If a wide receiver is going to get that, what do they have to do? What do they do to take that catch radius from two feet out to eight or ten feet? I think all that comes down to the your mental capacity, right? Your mental capability and what you're willing to go up and get. Like if you uh, – those types of guys, right, really don't fear anything. Like when you you understand that when you're playing, and you know whether you're it doesn't happen near as much on the outside, right? But when you're kind of born and bred on the inside, you learn about linebackers and you learn about safeties, um, and you can really see how someone's going to be right the first time that they get hit by a linebacker or safety, <laughs> and that's really what kind of expands your catch radius is your ability to say, you know, uh, if I'm running 100 miles an hour, it hurts a lot less getting smacked by a linebacker or safety. Um, And then, you know, the ability just, the athletic ability just to really go and get it. Uh, I don't think it has a lot to do with hand size. I don't think it has to do a lot with, you know, arm length or reach. It really has a lot to do with I'm willing, right, and I want those 50-50 balls. And when someone's not willing to get those and their catch radius is small, that's when they right get their football cliche nickname of 50-50, where it's like, yep, they're, you know, they might catch it. We're not sure, though. So how do you develop so that if you're okay trust? With your, it, Go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm, I was just going to say, so if you, if you want your, you know, your kid to be that type of guy, you got to be okay with them getting a hit. So that when you speak of if you're open by five feet, quarterback's going to throw you the ball, or else he's going to get benched, right? I mean, we all we all know yeah. that. But I'm interested to learn about that trust that you can establish with that quarterback when you speak of that fifty-fifty. So you're not so obviously wide open, but the dude throwing the ball knows if I throw it to him. If there's any way possible, he's coming down with it. And I'd imagine that's a good spot to be in for a receiver if the quarterback and the coaches think that that's the case. How do you get to that point as a receiver? Yeah, I think obviously a, a huge part, if if receivers could be a part of, you know, if practice could get broken up into one-on-ones, uh, seven-on-seven in team drills, right, and you did that for an hour and a half, and you did that for three days, you're going to know exactly who your guys are. Um, Because, you know, it's very rare, especially later in the season, when you're going full go against your defense who sees you every single day, that this concept of, you know, being open by five feet, right, (laughs) is going to happen. And, like, simply what it comes down to is, uh, you know, people, quarterbacks will throw a football, 
and you have people who say, ah, he, he really wasn't open. As a receiver, you need to know and understand that if you have a half a step, right, if you have a half a step on a defensive back, you better know that your quarterback, one, trusts you enough to believe that you're open in that situation, and you as a receiver better know, okay, I'm open, and I need to make the play on this ball. And so as a coach and as a quarterback, it's these types of plays in practice, right, in scrimmages, in games where, you know, you truly get to see, okay, this is, this is our guy. And the guys who are producing today at receiver are those guys. So as a former receiver, if you go to practice, if you're let in where the media isn't, how quickly can you look at – you got a whole receiver group there, right, and they're, they're going through their drills. Mm-hmm. How long does it take you to say, he's got it, he doesn't, he doesn't, he does? Uh, <laughs> probably less than five minutes. But that's also because, right, like, as all growing up, my dad was training receivers all around the country, right? Obviously, growing up in the home I did, uh, I was very, very observant. And so, like, that that's something – I mean, I've, I watched a lot of football and <laughs> learned from a lot of different people um, and played a lot of football. And so, you know, when it comes to the receiver position – I feel pretty good about walking into a practice, walking into a film room and knowing, okay, I can pick out three or four guys that, you know, uh, have the ability to be a, a legit division one athlete. Right. I mean, that's what I was saying. I was covering, I worked for the newspaper at the time covering BYU. So I'm down there and then back at that point, you can go and watch all the practices and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And it didn't take very long to realize that Collie kid uh, was all that, and plus you combine right. the attitude. And let's face it, he had attitude, and I don't mean that in a negative yeah. way. I mean that in a positive way. So how much of it is attitude to go along with the skill? Because collies have always had the attitude that they've needed to succeed. Yeah, and and that is especially, you know, at the receiver position. When you look at offensive skill positions. The attitude is a huge, huge part of it. Now, each attitude is going to be different, right? I think the middle of the field, you look at uh, the offensive line and the, and the running backs, right? It's the attitude of I'm stronger, I'm smarter, and I'm just going to get at you with brute force, right? At, on the outside, at receiver and then at quarterback, if you don't have a certain level of confidence in your ability, then you're, you're not going to make it. And I, and I think you see that a lot as you get people who are phenomenal, right? All of fall camp, all of practice, um, and, and even I, right? Like, I fell into this. My uh, – the last half of my freshman year at Hawaii, right, Norm Chow got fired. We brought in an interim head coach. In um, going into my sophomore year, we switched coaches. And my confidence was in the dumps, right? Like, I was – at Hawaii with, you know, the only reason I really went to Hawaii was because of Norm Chow, right? And uh, so to know that comfort was now gone, I was going to need to get to know new coaches, this whole thing, and kind of prove myself again, I wasn't in the best mindset. And it really did have an effect on the early parts of my season. Um, And then, you know, fast forward a year later, my junior year, it was like, okay, I'm, you know, the normal confident, my normal confident self 
and and that proved right that proved the best way it's not like my skill set really changed i continued to work in the same way that i did i continued to have my same habits the only thing that changed was i believed that i was the best receiver on the field at that time and you know that is a huge part of i think specifically dax's journey is when you see dax dax is not right i think i had maybe four or five conversations with dax uh, in the first three or four months that I was at BYU. And that wasn't because, right, I was avoiding him. Like, I saw him throw – I threw with him one time and was like, good night, this kid's legit. And, uh, you know, so he was – I knew he was the real deal. Um, but he's extremely quiet. Um, he's very observant. And the dude just but, – but he has this confidence that freaking just radiates. And you knew that he was going to be a player. And that's kind of shown through, right, today. So when you were listing all the things that got you on the field, I didn't hear anything about run blocking. Did you just happen to skip that, or do coaches not push that very hard, or does that depend on the coach? <laughs> no, I think a lot of that depends on the coach and, and the time. Uh, in our house, if you miss a, if you drop the ball and you missed a run block, right, or you didn't give a hundred percent on your run blocks it was very much, you can get that drop back, you can't get that run block back. If you weren't flying around going 100 miles an hour to get your block for your running backs, Scott Colley was going to have your head. That was probably the few times that I got yelled at after a football game. Um, I think there was twice, specifically, from the time I was eight years old till I was a senior at BYU, there was two times that I got pretty... And my dad's not, right? He's not – every game my dad's he, – he's up in the corner. He's extremely quiet. Uh, he's not going to, you know, yell your name. He's not going to give you a go Dylan, right? <laughs> he's, he's just going to watch. And there was two times where after the game he just kind of asked me, like, hey, how would you play? And I'm like, oh, I mean, I played phenomenal. Like, <laughs> I had, you know, eight catches over 100 yards. And – he just stopped me and said, well, that's uh, it completely wrong. You played awful, and that was like one of the worst efforts I've ever seen on this block and this block. Oh, man. Did, and, did you uh, learn that that was a I, setup when he asked you how you played? Or, or did he ask absolutely. you that even after good games? Or it was always a setup? No. Always a setup. No questions asked. <laughs> so did you remember those times you didn't uh, make those blocks that you were supposed to? Oh, absolutely. Like I, uh, one time I was nine years old, I was playing quarterback and it was a, uh, like an option play. Uh-huh. And I, I pitched the ball and we had plenty of space. Right. But when I pitched it, I just stopped. And as soon as I came off the field, I kind of looked at him and I'm like, Oh yeah, I went for you know 12 yards or whatever. And immediately after the game, he's like, do you know why I gave you that look on that option? And I was like, uh, nope. <laughs> and he's like, because you stopped running. And then proceeded to lay into me for a good five minutes about effort and blocking. And that was like the first time I learned about it. And then in high school, sophomore year, homecoming game, I just, there was a, you know, uh, kind of similar to the deep ball, right? It, other guy catches the post. I'm on the opposite side. I've got angles to, you know, go set some screens so the guy can score, and I just stopped, right? 
And that was an immediate after the game. Well, how'd you play? And I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> He's going to bring that one up. <laughs> so. so this would have been before your time. I'm pretty sure trying to do math, which I should never do live on the radio because I screw it up. But I, I'm curious because a lot of what um, I learned and, and some of the friends, both people who work in the business and people who are just football fans, learn from watching some of the old NFL films. They don't do it so much. NFL films has really changed. But they used to do stuff on the best athlete. And even if you didn't play after the sixth grade, you know, or whatever, you, you could, yeah. even if you never played, you could learn a lot. And one thing I learned about run blocking as a wide receiver, because people would look at me and go, yeah, yeah, you're slow. You need to block here. <laughs> you're a lineman. <Yeah. laughs> so, yeah. I was done with football. I was I could play a couple of years of flag football and get out of there because it was never going to work for me. But uh, I learned this, and it was, um, and your dad may have showed it to you. Uh, there's a one, I think one player. I don't think that it's changed. I think there's one player who has two 90 yard touchdowns in the same game. And it's John Taylor from the Niners back in the 80s. And NFL Films uh-huh. did this thing about how he got, I think, I don't remember which of his first or second one, but one of them, because Jerry Rice ran 50 yards downfield to block somebody. Now, Jerry Rice is the GOAT, okay? He is a clear-cut yeah. GOAT in the way Wayne Gretzky is and the way Jordan doesn't appear to be anymore because LeBron is at least in the conversation, right? There's no one in the conversation with Jerry Rice. And here's Jerry Rice running 50, 60 yards downfield, throwing blocks at the yeah. 40 and the 30. More of a screen, actually, as you said. He wasn't decleating guys. But still, he made sure John right. Taylor got to the end zone and they got this big play. And I'm curious, do coaches, do coaches use video of pros, whether it's something from the current season or some all-timer? Like, this is how you throw a stiff arm. You know, if you're a running back, okay? Now, this stiff arm may have come from some guy 40 years ago, but you don't throw him any better than that stiff arm. Do, do people share that kind of video and dig that kind of stuff up for players? Oh, absolutely. I think, I think good coaches do, right? And I learned about what an extremely good receivers coach. I, I've loved, I've had phenomenal relationships with, you know, all of, all of my receivers coaches, Um from you know my freshman year at Hawaii, Luke Matthews, who was a former Utah Ute, um, and then you know obviously Fessy, who is an extremely good friend, and, and we talk on a regular basis. But I learned about what it meant to be a really good receivers coach uh, through Kefense Hinson, who is the receivers coach now at Oregon State. And you talk about someone who was beyond brilliant. Like this dude is one of the most fascinating football minds I've ever been around. Um, it was consistently every single day he had games from 20 years, right? Mm -hmm. So he had 20 years of almost every single NFL football game that had been played. And every single day, if you had a, a question or if there was something on, Hey, how do we block this? Or how do we run this route? Right. He could pick out a game and a play in a matter of like five minutes and would have it up on the screen. And, and that to me is huge because that's how, you know, the uh, kind of the imitation factor, right? Once you see it done and you realize, okay, this is how it needs to be done. This is how the professionals are doing it. You're able to kind of emulate that and work that into your game. Um, and, and that's a huge, huge asset to, to players from a coach's perspective. And, and that's really kind of what made him right. Uh, 
hands down in my in my personal belief and after being around a lot of different receivers coaches and things like that Kevense uh, Hinson is probably top three best receivers coaches in the nation right now. Well, given that this wasn't a very competitive game to break down and the next one isn't very competitive to break down either, it was good to go to school in the old wide receiver class today. Thanks for coming on and, uh, and coaching hey. us up, Dylan. We appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. There's Dylan Colley, the former BYU wide receiver. When we come back... What is trending? All the headlines. That's coming up next. Game six of the World Series. We'll get to that. 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.